Hello and welcome to Buy Positive. These are your hosts, Mari and MD. And today we'll be talking about something that is near and dear to probably all of our hearts, given that we are <laughs> on the internet. And that is fandoms, and particularly how fandoms can influence the formation of queer identity. Yeah. So what is a fandom? A fandom. Oh, what is a fandom? That's a very good question. Um, a fandom, I should have probably looked up the dictionary definition, but in my understanding, as a psychologist, I would say that a fandom is a group of people who are very passionate about a particular thing which is usually a media product or a personality or a, I don't know, musician. Video game. Video game. I don't know. I feel like there's fandoms for everything nowadays. And it's, and it's concretely mostly online communities. Yeah. They also meet sometimes. Mm. And I would say there's like a difference between being a fan and being part of a fandom. Because when you're a fan of something that's like you like it, you know, mm -hmm. but when you're part of a fandom, there's a certain, I don't know, there's like a certain uniformity in a way. There's a certain, certain trends that you pick up as part of a fandom. There's certain things that you follow, certain things that you know. There's like a common culture of understanding in a fandom. Mm -hmm. Like references, there's like memes in fandoms that are exclusive to yeah. that. Another form of communication between members. Yeah. Online, so mostly, and some... Uh, actually create yeah. around what they are a fan of. Yeah, I would say that a fandom is its own culture. Mm. I think it's it's a separate culture that people can become part of and that is getting much easier nowadays because modern technology, blah, blah, blah. So fandoms are ubiquitous. Um, they take on many different shapes and sizes and the reason why we decided to talk about this topic today is because we were at Klexicon in London um, the other weekend. Yeah. In case you haven't seen our posts on Instagram and Twitter, you should really check them out. We will be putting out videos as soon as they become available. Um, and also all the guests we're going to have. Shout out to Klexicon for bringing us together with a lot of very interesting people. So Klexicon is born out of a fandom. It's born out of the hundred. It's born out of the phenomenon that was Klexa and Lexa's unfortunate, untimely, and unwarranted death. For those who wouldn't know, The 100 is a post-apocalyptic show of the CW, and it's still running, I don't know, I mean, like a lot of people who was interested in only in what was happening with Clark and Lexa. Yeah. So Clark is the lead of the show, and she's a bisexual woman, and she falls for the ruthless leader of some of the other surviving people of the post-apocalyptic world, like post-nuclear disaster world. Yeah, and guess what? Spoiler alert, but she's not as ruthless as people <laughs> seem yeah. to think that she I mean, is. I'm not, oh yeah, no. And, and, and that part of the show is pretty well done, as in the great chemistry between the actresses, and a lot of people got engaged um, with that couple and with Lexa, mm -hmm. because there's a situation where you could see the tension between them and the kind of thing that you tend to think it's just subtext or it's just you projecting or saying things that aren't there, as happens to a lot of queer people. Mm. Um, and, but it turns out that they, act they actually went there. Yeah. And they first like, hinted that Lexa was gay, even though sexualities are not stated in that world. And then they actually kissed and 
and there was reassurance that Lexa, like the character, would be well treated. The the creators of the show, the showrunner, engaged with the fans a lot, uh, being reassuring and stuff, and then they did kill Lexa. Yeah. And like uh, bury your gay trope because she was killed by a stray bullet, meant for Clark, for her lover, uh, like on screen. Less than 30 seconds after they had sex for the first time. So you can see why people were um, mad, <laughs> to say the least. And after Alexa's death, there was a lot of outrage. Fans went crazy. They went on the internet. I mean, rightfully so. They went on the internet and um, some boycotted the show. Some There's a lot of things um, happened. There were money yeah. raised for the travel project. There was a lot of things that were done. Yeah. And one of the things that was created was Clexicon. That was this convention for... Queer women and allies. And media representation in particular. And yeah, so and that happens in Vegas every year and there was one now in London. And this is kind of where we are now that you're up to speed. And so what happened with Lexa's death and with Lexa in particular, we spoke to some people who really identified with the character, not because they were leaders of post-apocalyptic tribes, but because she was a queer woman who was a leader. She was a strong character and there was reassurance like MD said that this character would persevere and, and there would was be a, treated well yeah and so that there would be happiness for those two queer characters in a very unlikely situation where being yeah. happy is a little difficult people really yeah were emotionally attached to that and so when Lexa's death happened no thanks to the show creators there was a certain uprising among people who were fans of LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. media and um, one of the people we met at Clexicon wrote a paper on grief in the in the Clexa fandom that people actually engaged in some sort of mourning rituals and went through the stages of grief yeah. when it came to a fictional character. And so that level of that level of engagement, that level of devotion to a character, that is what fandoms are about, I believe. If mm-hmm. if of course the the medium in question is well executed. I think, yeah, Lexa did um, tick most of the boxes of what makes a, a character a good representation of what people actually engage with because the very emotional engagement, I mean, the, the actress did a pretty good job with it and actually she left the show for another show but they had other choice and killed the character. Yeah. And so it, she was empowering mm. and even though the world was horrible, you could see that in that world you could be probably a lesbian because we don't really know her sexual orientation, but that's how she's more or less coded and presented. Mm. Uh, that it's, I mean, she, no one cares. She's the leader, and she's a commander, and no one cares about her sexuality. Um, yeah, they kill her significant other, but because she's the commander, not because she's, they are women. Yeah, and I think another example that I kind of wanted to also note is the whole uh, Voltron fandom thing, mm-hmm. what happened with Shiro. Yeah. Uh, because that happened very recently. That happened before season seven of Voltron came out. Voltron is a show on Netflix about robot lions. Just stay with me. And um, it's, it's a cartoon, but it's not just for kids. It's it's a very good show. It's based off of an 80s classic, which they revamped. They added a lot of more diverse characters, a lot more introspection and psychological stuff. And so one of the characters, Shiro, who is kind of, the main character, I would say, in, in a lot of ways. He's the leader, anyways. He's the leader uh, of, of the show. He was revealed to be gay. And 
that happened during um, another convention. So people were really hyped for that. They introduced his fiance to whom he was engaged before he went on a space mission and got lost. And so people were super excited about that, uh, about the fact that this really strong character who went through a lot of crap, mm -hmm. who's suffering from PTSD, who is also an Asian man, who is not your typical like queer coded character also because he's quite, you know, physically muscular, he's big, he's very assertive, so he's not like coded as your typical average gay. It would be like stereotypically masculine yeah, in a way. like a guy's guy type character that he would be gay and that would be part of the show. Yeah, and he's also disabled because he does have a prosthetic arm. So it's, he's a really fascinating character who a lot of people identified with and looked, looked up to and they call him Space Dad and everything, so there was a, a sort of following around him. But what ended up happening is that Adam, Shiro's fiance, who was introduced into the show, had like 20 seconds of screen time basically, and he ended up dying almost off screen yeah. in this way that, you know, um, that the, the earth was attacked and he was the first person to go out and fight, yeah. and he got caught in the attack and he died before Shiro even came home. So, I mean, they were not together anymore, but yeah, they yeah. weren't together anymore, but there were like, there was a certain relationship hanging there in the air. Mm -hmm. There was a certain expectation that they would kind of at least talk about their relationship, which yeah. would have been really, really good. Even if they hadn't gotten back together, the fact that you can make peace with your exes and mm -hmm. stuff after something so traumatizing, that would have been so good. And so a lot of people were outraged by the fact that, you know, the only indication we really got of their relationship was of one flashback and then Shiro kind of standing in front of a, a wall with like people's names on it. People were outraged for a lot of reasons. First of all, it was the barrier gaze trope. If Adam turns out to be alive in the next and final season, I guess that would be great, but then like why add that for shock value? But also, you know, the fact that you would introduce a character like that, you know, give kids real hope that there could be a gay leader and then just take it away like that. I mean, he's still gay. He's still gay. He's still gay. Of course, his sexuality does not change with the fact that his ex-partner died. Um, but, you know, when it's a kid's show, and it's still a kid's show, things have to be a lot more explicit, I think. Um, because, I mean, not that kids are stupid or anything, but they need a lot more explanation about certain things. You know, an adult watching that show could understand the subtlety of that relationship. But a child, on the other hand, I think would have a lot more questions than answers. People on Tumblr were very aggressive, some to the point of sending death threats to the creators of the show, which is also not okay. It's really not okay. Don't do that. No matter how much you feel screwed over by people who create shows, they're creating shows, it's their thing. And yes, when you create something and you give it to the public, it becomes part of their consciousness, but it's still their show. They are still governed by producer's money and by what the studio mandate says so under no circumstances is it okay to send death threats to people who create shows who star in them and who voice them but that is the power of the fandom to that i also wanted to talk about like fandom engagement with the existing material with the canon because in our day and age surprise surprise canon doesn't exist just by itself Especially, I think, my generation of people, they don't just watch a show and be done with it. There is a lot of content that is being generated based on what the canon is. And I'm talking, of course, about fan art, I'm talking about GIFs, I'm talking about videos, I'm talking about fan fiction. And fan fiction has been analyzed somewhat 
in relation to, to fandoms and how people engage with them. But there is actually a very interesting census of fanfiction writers. Uh, there were two released by fanfiction.net, which used to be huge. I don't know if people remember fanfiction.net. I do. <laughs> okay, you do, but like the younger, the younger generation, I don't know if they do. And the other one is Archive of Our Own. Of course, that one I think is the most popular fanfiction site nowadays. A 2011 analysis of user profiles on fanfiction.net showed that the average user's age on that website was 15 years old. Mm. So these are all pretty young, impressionable kids. I'm pretty sure I started like reading fanfiction when I was, when I was 13. And I clicked on the, of course I'm over 18 thing because... Of course. I really wanted to grow up. I'm but I feel like I feel like a lot of a lot of kids these days um, find out things that they're not supposed to through fan fiction, or at least that's <laughs> my experience. Like um, there is no real filter, which mm-hmm. is quite a problem. There is no real age filter when it comes to fan fiction. Anyone can read it and anyone can write it. Mm-hmm. So there is some you know, some uh, controversy when it comes to, to the consumption of that kind of stuff, especially when it's R rated. Interestingly enough, on Archive of Our Own, the average age in 2013 was 25. Oh, that's yeah. actually surprising. Yeah, so it, 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 the, the audience, I guess, and the authors have matured more. It's still the same people. It's though. still the same people, but I feel like the people who were 13 <laughs> at the time of when fanfiction.net was popular yeah. later transferred yeah. and grew up and they transferred to Archive of mm-hmm. Our Own and kind of evened out that age. But it's actually quite interesting because when you look at, at people who write fan fiction, there's a lot of people way over the age of 30 who have, you know, stable jobs and families and stuff, but they still do it because it's it's what makes them happy. And you have published author who also write fan fiction and also sometimes use some of the material for their books. Yeah. It's a way of keeping there. Yeah, and okay, okay, <laughs> not, not talking about that, can I actually say how much I hate that thing? Go ahead. Fifty Shades of Grey is yeah. garbage. And, yeah, it was a Twilight fan fiction, and it's scary. The thought is scary. Yeah, the thought is scary that there is so much really good fan fiction out there. And that this one, that, the one that was published, it's, yeah. it's questioning the universe right now. But anyway, the other interesting thing, Archive of Our Own Census mm-hmm. from 2013, it showed that only 38% of respondents identified as straight. <laughs> so... <laughs> Are fandoms important to the queer community? Let's think. Um, maybe. I'm gonna say yes. And maybe when you don't find the representation, when you don't see yourself on screen, you need to write about it? Hmm, interesting. And also, interestingly enough, since we're talking about representation, more people, according to that same census, identified as genderqueer than as male. Because guess what? There's more straight white men on TV than other characters. Yeah. So... You do raise a very good point. The fact is that, you know, there is this tendency, especially like when, when I was like watching things like, watching and reading things like Harry Potter and Supernatural and Glee and like all of those shows in the earlier 2000s, a lot of the characters were straight. There was only like maybe one token. Glee a little less. Okay, Glee was, Glee, okay, for that time, Glee was super progressive. Yeah. Now when you look back at it, it's hella problematic, and, but. Yeah. And speaking of fandom, stuff happened, but yeah. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, you know, when I was watching those shows, I wanted to make those characters queer because it just made sense. And it made sense because I didn't see myself 
in mm -hmm. any of the characters. Of course, back at the, back in the day, I was also in quite a bit of denial as to why I really wanted to make characters gay. More on that later, uh, or not at all. But um, <laughs> it, there is this tendency among people who are queer, who don't find themselves represented, who are also people of color, to produce fan fiction and create that representation for themselves, which is a wonderful thing. The most beautiful thing I, I think about fandoms is that you know, you don't have to follow the canon. You can make the characters your own. And yes, maybe some things and some fanfics that are written are completely out of character or set in alternate universes or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, to be honest, some fics are just, you have the names of the character, but that's it. Yeah. Other than that, but still, like, you can picture their face, but like... Yeah, but still, like, yeah. you know, when you have, say... And that's another thing about queer fandom engagement with... with the medium like again I was thinking about mm -hmm. Supernatural how like people would ship like Dean and Castiel and to a lesser extent Dean and Sam which is a little weird together and later that became ground and that became material for a lot of jokes in the show which no. sometimes were a little bit ugh, but most of the time they were quite good-natured and they even wrote a whole episode dedicated it's called fan fiction mm -hmm. dedicated mm -hmm. to this whole idea of people shipping the two characters together. But I don't know if like creators, I mean some writers probably do, but like showrunners, people in charge, mm. realize how much people engage with those characters, how much they mean, and how those, okay shipping is fun, mm. but sometimes it becomes more than that because it becomes identity yeah. building and that, yes you can't, I mean you can't bear the responsibility of the world on your shoulder when you write something. When you talk about it, you have to be very, very, very respectful because for some people, it's just you're at, they're just at that key moment mm. where they're building themselves and they need, they really, really need to have that positive. I mean, they don't need to the character to go necessarily where they want it to go, but at least to feel respected. Yeah, I think that's the creators. A, I think that's a big issue is that nowadays a lot of creators take they mine things from the fandom, but they don't give back. I think that's a really big problem. Like they would, like what happened with with um, with Lexa. I assume is that they saw how much people loved that character, oh, yeah. and they milked it for the emotional gratification. So people would engage and buy the merch and stuff. And and they used and they used the fact that it was a progressive thing to do to have the character and mm. um, to have this relationship uh, to have to have uh, good PR. But on the other hand, you know. Um, there is research about how fandoms and for people who, especially people who are quite introverted, which a lot of us fandom geeks are, um, participating in fandoms can develop, one, perspective taking skills in younger people, two, decrease people's feelings of depression and loneliness, three, improve psychological well-being, especially in people with low self-esteem. And I can testify to that because my self-esteem is in the crapper, but being a creator in a fandom is an amazing feeling because you don't really need much. You mm. just need your talent and you need an internet connection, basically. And that's all you need to know and it's all you need to do. And when you get good feedback from people you have never seen or talked to before, that is insanely gratifying and it also minimizes the anxiety of actually having to go out and talk to people and show your art physically. It's also a way to get social support Yeah. without... without um, needing social interaction, like yeah. like classical traditional social interaction where you need to you know go out and talk to people. Yeah, 
and I think there is a certain, I mean, I'm just going to plug myself here. I wrote a paper on um, f uh, Tumblr usage by the Attack on Titan fandom. If anyone wants to read it, I'll link it. There, th There's one thing that I kind of found staggering at first. I mean, now it has become very commonplace, but when I became part of that fandom, I realized how much of a culture it had in terms of like its own set of rules, in terms of not just shipping and ship wars and all of that stuff, mm -hmm. but whenever there's content creation on a given platform, say Tumblr or Twitter or Wattpad, whatever you, you use, there is a certain culture of respecting the author and respecting the artist, crediting them, mm -hmm. and giving back to them. So like reviewing people's work, not reposting people's work. And in that sense, fandoms are very self-policing because you, you see yeah. people like calling people out. Yeah, I was going to say, that. Yeah. there's a solidarity in them and telling, telling to a, an author or an artist like yeah. you, 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 your work has been reposted on this platform without your authorization. So yeah. yeah. And so it's basically just built on this mutual regard of yeah. each other as creators and also a, a common love for the source material. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's great. Um, and new new platforms, I mean new, Tumblr isn't exactly new. I feel so hip now. Um, but <laughs> platforms like Tumblr, they allow for... For it's new. <laughs> for, for that, you know, they allow for easy creation in a way, or not, not even mm -hmm. easy creation, but easy dissemination. Because yeah. all you need to do is basically slap a hashtag on it. Yeah. And that's it. You don't even need to be a popular blog because you just put it on put it into a tag. Yeah. People see, people reblog it and then suddenly you wake up the next morning and there's like 13,000 notes on your post <laughs> and you're like what the hell just happened? So in that sense online fandoms are a really really cool place um for people who maybe don't have the means or the confidence to put themselves out there in terms yeah. of their work. And also I have to say that going back to this idea of of queer identity development in fandoms. Mm -hmm. Personally, for me, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, this understanding of being queer is okay mm -hmm. really came from fandoms rather than traditional media, so to speak. Because that was the first place that I saw it was super frequent to have queer characters. Maybe in, in canon they weren't, but in fan fiction, anything is possible. And so you would have like Harry and Draco and stuff and that would be completely normal and that felt good. Okay, I mean, uh, there's two things to that, mm. I think. Yes, it's true. And I don't even know how, I, I don't remember how I started reading fanfic, fanfic and stuff because it was ages ago, but I've never been active in fandoms. I've always been like silent mm. type, just being there. And never super, super engaged, but I did read fanfic and like later be on Tumblr and it's true that I did find resources when I was trying to figure out what was going on for myself and like also on YouTube it's the same thing of people talking about their experience mm. and doing it through characters so in that sense fan fiction helped me but there's the thing that is there's a lot more I mean back in the day mm. and especially when I was actually reading Harry Potter fan fiction there was so much more male slash gay Mm -hmm. gay characters that's true yeah so it's i think it's a, it's an interesting way for when when you don't identify as male mm. because you can still project on it and it's sometimes probably less scary to start with that yeah. than actually mm. um doing something that's more closer to yourself 
So, so there's, there's a positive aspect of having those, those male characters when you you're, you're don't identify as male. But, but the problem is that it's still that same image of the, uh, you know, white gay guy, in yeah. a way, that is still overrepresented, mm. um, even in fan fiction. Yeah. And also because people, you know, follow the culture and that's where they were given. Like in, in Harry Potter, there aren't that many female characters, or I'm not even talking about non-binary or <laughs> character, or genderqueer character, but uh, non-male characters in Harry Potter, even though it was written by a woman. Yeah. Uh, you have not have much to work with, so then they can bending gender, and I found that very interesting. So I think there was this lack for me also there. Mm. I missed something. I missed that next step that I found later on mm. through also the specific fandoms. And I think, to be honest, if I got like interested into Klexa, mm. it was because of that. I, 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 the hundred itself, I never found it like very interesting or even mm. good that relationship was interesting in the story and 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 a lot of the fanfics that were written about them whether in 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 the uh, in the actual universe of the show or alternate universes are a lot more interesting yeah. than the cho- show itself yeah for sure and i would also say this like um because there are still so few queer characters that you know, what I noticed when we were at Klaxicon is that everyone has common references. Like, pretty much every show that features queer characters, everyone knows to a certain degree. Yeah. Like, you could mention some obscure show that had, like, one queer woman once, you know, three seasons ago, and people are going to be like, yeah, I watched it just because of that one scene. And you're like, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And, or at least you have heard about it. Yeah. In a way, it's not something, it's not foreign, it's... Like obscure web series yeah. that no one knows about if you're not in a queer woman, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's a pretty interesting experience mm. to see that. But all of that to to go back to the topic, it's it's really social support, mm. and I think you you have this that function of social support, identity building, normalizing um, the experience, and also when. There's an interaction with older people in fandoms. Mm. It has also this this reassurance yeah. uh, role. So we really find the same kind of, I think, the same kind of roles that we can find in, in representation. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of kind of doubles the experience. Yeah, I think you you do um, raise a valid point because I remember also you know when I started writing fan fiction, I would love commenting on other people's work and to have an author who writes a lot better than I did at the time and who is older to have them respond to my comment that was super gratifying as well because it also gave me this idea that you know that I can still engage with this person even though they write like a god but they're just a fan like I am yeah and I think that's that's a really cool part also is that you can directly interact with people who can appreciate your work and that is the thing that traditional media nowadays they're still learning how to do yeah with like fan interaction and it's still a little hit and miss also because of the popularity of mm-hmm. of some of the source material uh, but whatever you know this this whole fandom creator engagement that that more and more showrunners are into nowadays we made that mm. people in fandoms yeah. came up with that yeah and also it's changing medias because like with youtube or yeah even web series you you start smaller, so you have a lot yeah. more interaction, and and you know, like 
at least in the beginning when someone starts doing YouTube videos, mm. they are the one they are the one person putting them online. Yeah. So it's a, li- a little bit different than having you see your actor on screen, but mm. there's a whole machinery that you don't understand. Yeah. Between what you what you see on screen and what I mean the reality of the the person you see on screen. Yeah, and I would also say that, you know, now since we have social media and creators do try to connect with mm. with uh, their fans, like Okay, so I've never seen Star Wars, but you love the franchise. Yeah. When when you watch the first Star Wars movie, yeah. could you imagine, as a fan, being able to, in some way, directly talk to an actor oh, from no. that movie? No, but also I was a kid, so... Yeah, I know, but, but still, like, that, no. that would seem like a wild no, fantasy, it, no, right? Yeah, it was completely crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's something that was not just not possible. Mm-hmm. But also because it's Star Wars, like such so such a big thing. Yeah, I mean, still, it's not in very possible nowadays. But now, at least uh, with Twitter, you still you, you can ha- talk to Mark yeah. Hamill. Yeah, yeah, you can you can talk to them. You can you can like engage with them. They post yeah. their they post snippets of their lives, and so they feel more accessible. Even mm-hmm. even if they don't necessarily they they aren't necessarily that. I mean, that's it's very interesting. I was just thinking about Carrie Fisher. Mm. And the fact that I mean she didn't have I mean she had very iconic roles, and she had done a lot of things behind the scene in Hollywood, and and she also was a great uh, mental health advocate. She was really, she had a lot of very very interesting things to say, and she was very fascinating, like her own Princess Leia in a way, and 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 really, and we, no one knew that before she was on social media. Yeah, she people realized that she was more, there was more to her than playing Leia. It became apparent because she was on social media and mm-hmm. made pretty good use of it. Yeah. And I would also say, since we're talking about social mm-hmm. media, that to see actors mm-hmm. who are queer, mm-hmm. who can engage with their public, oh, and yeah. who you've seen, that's also super important. Because, I mean, I'm going to go back to Voltron because I'm like a fangirl. But um, <laughs> just last week, Bex who voices Pidge in Voltron, posted... Bex is non-binary, they're non-binary, and they posted a picture of themselves topless on mm. Instagram. Mm. And there was such a wealth of support, mm. and people really loved that they did that, and that was, you know, quite brave um, that they did that, despite the fact that Instagram is notorious for taking down pictures of anything that looks like a female nipple. And so there was a lot of support. People were super happy about it. People felt validated. And, you know, it was non-binary people, trans people were like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And when the picture got taken down, because of course it did a couple of days later, there was a lot of outrage mm-hmm. because, like, to see someone who was a hero mm-hmm. to them at that moment, yeah. to have them invalidated by this corporate machine that made people feel a certain type of way. So I think it's just really cool that queer actors and queer creators and queer musicians, whatever, mm-hmm. queer people who are in a position of power and an influencer mm-hmm. position can directly engage with their fans and thank them for their support. And I think that gives a completely new dimension to that fandom experience. Yeah. When you have a queer actor or actress who can engage with a queer fandom, mm. Because there's, it's so layered. Yeah. Because there's, there's a representation, there's a character, but there's also the experience of meeting someone else who has a similar type of experience 
as being queer. Mm. And that's, you know, that, that we could also feel, Lexicon, that difference with, like, you know, out queer actresses. Yeah. Uh, that there was some way of relating that was very different. And even that's what Jamie Clayton said. Yeah. And, and she's, she's a trans woman. She's, she's absolutely charming, by the way. I'm just going to say that. And she's a trans woman, she, she's, uh, but she identifies as straight. So it'd be experience might be very different from a lot of the women that were there, or AFEB, or allies, or all the people that were at Clecticon. But still, there were this shared queerness. Mm. And she said that she felt really safe. Yeah. And it was, very, it was a particular feel for her yeah. to be at this queer convention. Mm. Um, she's used to cl- to Comic Con to other thing, and and her show is very queer. But being in that environment was was special to her. And I mean, of course, she could have not actually meant it, but I think she did. I think she did. I think she was very sincere about that. And because there was a shared vibe in the room. Yeah. I think also because probably half of the women in that room were completely and totally in love with her. <laughs> and um, she broke the heart of she all broke of them. their hearts completely when she said that she was straight. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it was it was a very interesting experience to to live, you know, to take the online fandom and live it in real life. Mm. You know, I I'm still a little bit like, did that actually happen? Because it just felt like I was walking through Tumblr. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and that was a little a little weird because you, you're not used to people speaking that way. You're not used to people doing those things, and suddenly they are right in front of your eyes, and you're like, holy shit. Like people actually want gender neutral toilets and they actually yeah. care about it and, and and the one that there was there was not accessible and Yeah. And people were mad I mean about it and they were right, but it's not something you're used to Yeah. Do, do I mean you're used to people not caring about that kind of things. Yeah, you're used to like in your day to day life, unless you solely exist in your queer community then you are not used to people being like, Oh yeah, you know, gender neutral toilets are important. And having non-binary characters in TV shows is important. Because people don't... Straight people, I'm sorry, straight people. Cis straight? Cis straight people don't really care. Because they feel represented. So being in a room of largely underrepresented people who have a similar shared experience, no matter what they identify as, was really cool. And that is what fandoms are all about. Yeah, we rambled a lot. Yeah, but it's okay. I feel like that's also what fandoms are about. Yeah, I mean, they can be also, I mean, let's just, before wrapping it up, Mm -hmm. that they also can be toxic. Yeah. That they can also hurt, uh, not just because showrunners make decisions that are very questionable. I was was trying to be polite. Um, Stupid, they're stupid stupid. Okay. Also because, yeah, sometimes there are wars within fandoms, and it's very, very toxic because... When you come, like when you're in a place where you're supposed to feel safe and it doesn't anymore, it hurts even more. Yeah. So that, that's yeah. That's really the downside of it and it can't be completely downplayed or ignored yeah. either. I would say, because I didn't get that question um, after we talked about representation and mental health in our panel, you know, like how do you avoid being hurt by fandoms if they are your only so- source of comfort? Mm-hmm. You want to put yourself out there yeah. and then when you do, people will bully you. And to that I can only say, unfortunately, we can't police the internet. And I don't think it should be policed. I'm still all for free speech as much as it is possible. So it's just a matter of trying to build support in different circles for yourself. The whole queer identity thing that MD can talk about for ages. Um, But it's about building 
social support and it's about building your own identity and and trying to find a foot to land on yeah and i'm not saying not to engage in sterile like you know if people start fighting over something yeah just let it go yeah it's not worth it because, because usually pe- the people who fight on the internet are people who are trolls and who don't get enough action <laughs> offline. <laughs> no, and, and it's about finding the, your people and once you found them, stick with them. Yeah, absolutely. Because fandoms can be a beautiful thing if you know how to use them. Yeah, like a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your experience with fandoms? Is there anything that we missed and we should have talked about? Please do let us know by email or by Twitter. And we will be linking the study about um, Klexa fandom grief that we mentioned earlier to this podcast, as well as my paper and all the other stuff we, we use as sources. And otherwise, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.